All right, this is coming in on the top 10 of the show. We have Scott Crow. Scott Crow is an international speaker, author, storyteller, activist, filmmaker, dad, and musician, just to name a few. For the last two decades, he has focused on diverse social political issues and explorations in creating and exercise a counterpower to capitalism. Scott's first book, of Black Flags and Windmills was critically acclaimed and uh, hit NPR's Top Summer Reads of 2015. And Scott was also in the electronic group Lesson 7, which is what we're here to talk to him about today. So Lesson 7. Lesson 7 is a one-man electronic project, which at one point wasn't just a one-man project. But anyway, this has been Scott's uh, mode of expression from the beginning, and it kind of laid dormant due to that long list of incredible things he's been up to um, at the beginning of this intro. But now um, he founded, there's another thing, he founded Emergency Heart Records and uh, has revisited his past and has been remixing and rewriting some of these original Lesson 7 tunes. Scott is releasing The Continuum of Time, which is a collection of these rewritten, remastered, re-edited Lesson 7 tunes, to be followed by two other remix albums, Memories of the Future, Remixes slash Red, which is going to come out in January 2023, and Memories of the Future, Remixes slash slash Black, to be released in March 2023. We're going to listen to a tune off Continuing of Time. This is Lesson 7 featuring Mark Pistol on guitar, and the tune is called Until December.
Until December, Lesson 7, featuring Mark Pistol on the guitar. Very cool stuff. Uh, This is really interesting where this conversation goes, because electronic music has its place, and you don't really equate it to country music, but um, Scott's journey musically started from growing up in country music, and country music royalty as far as country music's concerned, we're talking George Jones. His dad was the drummer to George Jones' band. Wild, right? Anyway, we're going to get into this conversation. Before before we do that, uh, make sure you check out Emergency Heart Records. And they have a great lineup. We've talked to, I've talked to a few uh, a few artists from that label, um, Sign and uh, Mark Stewart. The name a few. We talk about Mark a lot. Mark Stewart from the pop group, and uh, that dude's amazing. And <laughs> anywho, so emergency record, emergency heart records is where you can get continuum of time as well as a lot of other amazing music that is doing it for the real reason, uh, not the real reason, is doing it for the pure reason, is doing it to express themselves on a label of people also trying to express themselves. It's not too often you get artists on both ends. So emergency heart records is a really cool dive into the world of creativity. Um, Lastly, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms. It helps me keep talking to cool guests like Scott and being able to share that insight with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Scott Crow. I wanted to uh, I wanted to know if you have this concept and it's concept backed by action with solidarity, not charity. Uh, mm-hmm. How much of that kind of like weaved its way into your reality through music? One hundred percent. Music is was a doorway for me to explore life and like to explain things. Even as a child, like I remember hearing stories and, and it was like, oh, these stories actually mean something to me. Even if I don't know who these people are or what these things are, they were just commonalities of, the, of things to explain situations that I was in that I didn't understand. Because I grew up working class poor and um, and a lot of drug addiction and, and alcoholism run, ran throughout my family. You know, like my uncles and cousins were in and out of prisons and jail and stuff. And, and so anyway, so storytelling uh, from songs was always a part of this. But when I became a musician, the the collaborative nature of music even though we didn't i didn't have this language for it. so understand that like i'm explaining it now in retrospect right like but it, but like but the, but i but i love the collaborative of working together with people for common goals and then uh, as I and when I got real serious about music and and started to do things, then I I saw the I and and through exposure to other bands that were very political, like first in punk music and then really through industrial music, I began to understand the power of politics crossing over in music, and so started to use that. And so this is where the solidarity and charity comes in: is that I realized that we could do we could not only raise our voices to uh to talk about issues and do things but we could actually raise funds for these issues and things and again solidarity not charity didn't you know like was not a concept in my head or anything but these are the rudimentary things that just kind of have crossed over i love collaborating with people like uh i hate when people think they're the smartest person in the room and they they have it all figured out i love the the multi-brains to figure stuff out i mean i'm I'm ain't gonna lie like i'm a smart person and like uh, but I'm no smarter than anybody else. But I want to hear what people are thinking. And like we work together when we collaborate on this stuff. And so that, you know, like 
as the decades went on and I, and I left music and went into the political world a lot, that concept developed, you know, in, in the in 2000, you know, started in the early 2000s. So you're talking about, you know, from the 80s until then. So it was a pretty good road to, to get there. Yeah, yeah. That's well, you know, I think that's very that's a very insightful uh, process to not like because it's like it's like with music you were listening. Right. And that's how you learn how to be better at that. And like that happens from hearing what's around you. That happens from taking bits of people's ideas and phrasings and finding out how you can convey that authentically through yourself. So to do that with like a philosophical approach is only like. To come off and say the smartest guy in the room is always talking too much usually is the, the opposite, right? That, that guy is like not here. Exactly. Yes. Ideas. Yes. And like, yes. <laughs> I think that's such a cool. And in in the long run, that's going to make uh, you as an individual more adept for a plethora of situations because you already have all these different ideas coming from other places that you would have never came to because you heard multiple perspectives. And like that's such an important concept, and like that I, I think musically related that comes that's in the genesis of it, and I think especially with like the electronic uh, approach to music and the idea of like sampling in, like I, there's a big strain of people in the music community that are like oh like you're pushing buttons, but I think it's really similar to like a jazz musician who hears a phrase, plays it on a trumpet, transposes it to a different key, or you know what I mean like. That exactly exactly yes so like when did like as far as music and like well um as far as playing music what did you start with did you start with like uh guitar did you start with like uh keys oh no i actually was a drummer so yeah? um okay I, I'm, I'm from a so let me back up again because everything has to have a i have a starting point right it's like, like uh so i am from uh country music royalty so my yeah. dad was the drummer for uh george jones uh no he was way. one of the original jones boys for uh in the yeah in the 60s and 70s and tammy wynette when they were married together and then when they split sometime in the mid 70s he went with tammy and so i um, but just know this my dad was in prison almost as long as he was in the uh, as the drummer for george jones also but through that i got to meet a uh, meet a lot of people uh in and you know and doing and and just and just doing that and so my dad was a drummer and so but he was also an alcoholic and a drug addict and and also um angry and and all these other things and was a, a prone to violence and stuff like that you know i'm not trying to make it a, a sad story but i'm just saying like that yeah. that was real too but yeah. he gave me a drum kit when i was about nine or ten and then uh, uh, was a total asshole and show me how to play it. <laughs> and it was a great early uh, 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 Pearl inlaid Ludwig set from the 50s. And it was beautiful, but it was kind of beat up, and I loved it. And, um, and so in, in, in despite him or in spite of him, I decided to learn to be a better drummer than he was. <laughs> and so I was motivated. Yeah. But then I, I didn't do country music by that time. And by the, you know, like I started playing and playing and playing. And then, and by the time I was about 11 or 12, I was in, I was in heavy metal bands. And this is before this, you know, this would be like 1980, 79, 80, 81, you know, like when, uh for you know like hair bands hadn't even come in you know like hair metal bands hadn't even come in yet it would be like the the old stuff and so we were just doing cover songs so i was i played drums for a long time and the the last band i was in uh the last metal band i was in in high school um like we, we were fairly popular it was like fractured wing it was the you know <laughs> yeah. doing all the, all the you know doing all the covers and stuff and so that 
but at some point, New Wave had kind of come in at that point. I was really taken aback by, again, synths and all this stuff that it really just started to make sense to me. And, and then I saw Terry Bozio of, the, of uh, Missing Persons play live, and he had this incredible drum kit. And I was like, it was electronic. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to do that. And so then I just was like, I don't want to be a drummer anymore. I just want to go. I want to I want to do I want to. I want to be more than that. I want to be, I want to compose music and do stuff. And so I, I quit metal, just left it behind and started doing experimental music. And I don't know how I fell in. I mean, I do know how I fell into that, but like, uh, but like I fell into experimental music and started doing electronic music and started trying to figure that out. And so that's kind of how I got there. And then I became, and then, you know, like this was in the early days when there weren't a lot of people, like, again, you talk about like 1985, 1986 yeah. in the U S especially in Texas, there weren't a lot of solo yeah. Yeah. synthesizer dudes doing shows and stuff or, or performing or doing sets like that in the uk it was far more popular or and maybe even on the coast but anyway and so i just started doing that and you know like i decided i, I didn't want to be in those bands anymore in that way and so i just started working on music myself and building it and kind of doing it and i was like okay well you do everything you play the drums you sing you yeah everything and then i i, did, I built an electronic drum kit uh me and a friend of mine built yeah. this electronic drum kit pretty low tech but it was uh, but it worked <laughs> so and uh and and just kind of did that and then just kind of built from that and then and then since we're with that afterwards and then i and then when um in about 88 um uh two friends of mine uh, one that I had worked with for a long time david starfire uh that's what he goes by now and this other guy win martin uh they we all joined together at, under i'd already been doing lesson seven since 86 but by 88 we decided to do together and i really just kind of advocated writing songs as much and it became more of a just given input and stuff because they were good songwriters and stuff and so we just kind of worked together i mostly sang and and did that so you know sorry it's a long-winded story to get to that but that's what that's what ha that's how i got there and so i just mostly sing and, and produce music now and i work with a lot of producers like even continuing today i just work with producers you know like so like uh you know like they, they'll you know somebody will send a song and i'm like oh that's a great set of beats let's do this to it and we'll start you know collaborating in that way but i'm not actually touching it anymore you know it's all you know, on the computer but yeah. and then i just put up the vocals and mark stewart of, of yeah. the pod group um yeah. he kind of uh he you know like i worked with him for the last couple of years and it just really helped validate some of my processes because you know I'm, I'm kind of isolated and i had left the music industry for such a long time uh after 92 i didn't even come back until 2017 really and so i had left it and so so much had changed and you know and, and i i was uh, you know, I, I don't understand processes and I wasn't, in, I wasn't steeped in the music business. And so anyway, but he just ha helped to validate some of the things I was coming to naturally, like working with producers and stuff like that. And so that's just kind of the process, how it's evolved over the years or decades now. Right. It's it. Mark is a fascinating guy. Like, oh my gosh, he his is. music and like where he went with it post pop group. Right. And like, yes, I, I got the chat with him a while ago and he had this whole philosophy of like how life is like dub so like yes with him like as a producer i imagine those insights uh, and especially in like a, a situation where you're focused on a thing would be really re like what were like some of the like uh, as, as far as processes and kind of like uh how you said it it made what you were doing kind of uh right or feel okay like what were some of the insights gleaned from mark stewart maybe well, on a more specific level well, okay. Well, it's interesting as it because it's going to sound like really regular because you talk to musicians all day and stuff. Right. But I didn't. Just remember, I had to get caught back up. Yeah. And so, like, 
where, you know, like I would get a snippet of a song from somebody and then I was like, well, I've got to finish it with that person because they they did that. I used to tell myself that, yeah. you know, but instead I can take that snippet and I can send it to multiple different people and have them build things. And we can talk about, you know, some of them I could talk with them about building it. Another one, they just kind of go off with it. And then I can mash all those pieces together into a song. And that's something that's a process. I actually and I'm sure like I mean, like. Uh, a lot of big producers, you know, like in pop music and stuff, I'm sure that's what they do. Cause you know, you'll see producers and it's like 15 producers on a song, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. 75 songwriters. I'm sure that's what they were doing. But to me, that was just outside my world. I didn't even know that. But Mark showed me, you know, like when we were working on getting his album ready for release and stuff, this is, this is the process he was going through. And I got to see it, you know, like sometimes he would take tracks to Adrian and he and Adrian would take it all the way, or he would get some mix from Adrian, but then send it to some other people like this guy named Ziki, uh, this guy in North England, and get him to finish it or Peter Harris to actually work and add some more pieces to it. And I just liked that process. It, it actually is just a collage work, which is what yeah. he's always done. Right. And, you know, like you we just talking about Mark, one of my main inspirations for getting into industrial music was Mark Stewart and, uh, you know, the veneer of democracy and uh, that those tracks in Jerusalem and stuff. When I heard those, my head exploded as a redneck kid in Texas and Dallas. You know, I was like, whoa, what is this? Who's doing this? Because I was listening. I was already listening to hip hop and how they were mashing stuff up. But this was a whole different way. And, you know, giving rise to on you sound and, and, and tech head sound system and all those variants, you know. But anyway, Mark was the kind of the impetus for that. So it's just interesting to, to, to see that arc. And, 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 and Mark just helped me kind of uh, pull all that together. Right. Well, you know, that kind of goes off to the, the, the concept from the beginning of the solidarity of working as a group. Right. And like knowing that it doesn't always have to be you doing all of it but that it grows and sounds better. And collectively, if more minds go into it, and if those guys, like the banjo player who's on this track, he's been playing banjo, he should probably play banjo on this track. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, exactly, yeah. right. I, I feel the same way. That's so and cool. I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure that, that David Bowie had a similar process, just not with the, just electronic stuff. You know, he would right. come in with a sketch of a song and then, you know, the, the guys would flesh it out and make it. And that's what I find is beauty, you know. And when I work with a good producer, like sometimes I'll bring in ideas and that's what I think is like, you know, like, here's my acoustic song. It's not really acoustic, but, you know, like, yeah. here's my little scrap of a song. And then they start to fill it out i'm like oh my gosh those strings sound good I, oh i didn't think about putting the chorus like that you know like yeah. and, and i love it i, tr I truly love it it's so in like and we, my favorite part about sending tracks back is getting them back or sending trans out tracks yes out is getting them back and then here oh my gosh like, yes you know what i mean like it's like i would have never right two piano layers like this one you know what i mean like right 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 exactly and that that exploration it actually drives the label a lot emergency hearts the label because we like to do remixes um uh a lot like and i really love to send out you know like one song i don't just get a remix of it sometimes i'll get i'll get 10 remixes of a song from different people because i love giving the source material again looking at it as just like digital detrius or digital you know something that people can remake into anything that they want to and i tell them i'm like we don't just need a dance mix for this or or you know just you know do what you do with it make it yours with these you know these pieces and it's incredible what comes back that and when i get it back that that feeling you're talking about is what i love i, I truly i'm like oh my gosh what a great interpretation you did you know of that or like art or what a wow so interesting that you took it in that direction never thought about it that way 
I love it. I truly love it. a lot of the artists we work with get get you get a little freaked out about it sometimes. They're like, well, I didn't ever think a, a metal band would be able to remix my ambient song, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. Like that it's there's nothing like that. Um one thing I kinda wanted to uh touch base on further back is so when you're like around like uh meeting some of these country like legends, right? And as a drummer mm-hmm. as a drummer in a in a country band, you're main goal is every every musician in a country outfit his main main goal is like to serve the song right is like you that's right that's right flashy they're in the pocket they're doing that train beat (laughs) you know what i mean they're not right right. exactly exactly you know you know exactly like so like i mean did you ever cross george jones or any of those guys as a kid all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that I thought they were my family because yeah. I didn't understand it. Like I didn't I thought George and all the guys in the Jones boys were my uncles. Like I, I truly didn't know because I mean, they were at my grandmother's house and stuff. This is not like they yeah. were like I just saw them occasionally. Like I saw them all the time. Like wow. like oh. they parked my you know, like they parked the bus at my grandmother's trailer, you know, like often, you know, or they are because George and my dad are from the same small town outside of Beaumont, Texas. And so that's where that connection comes from. And so, uh, and then when I would meet people, you know, like all the time, I mean, like Johnny Cash, Ronnie Millsap, the Statler brothers, oh, fuck, Alabama. I mean, I can't even think of like the, I ne- you know, there's there's some I never met, like Loretta Lynn, but I mean, Dolly Parton, uh, yeah. Porter Wagner. I mean, I don't know, I can't, that list is really long because <laughs> that was, a, you know, like we went to a lot of shows and right. stuff, but I was just a kid and like, I would just stand behind the drums while my, while my dad played, you know, all the time. And he did, I mean, like what you were talking about, it was like very simple beats and stuff, but he never was a flash drummer anyway, right. you know, that even when he wasn't doing that. And so, uh, you know, and country music was way different than, you know, like, like George was a legendary. He was legendary for being an alcoholic then. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. he wasn't. He wasn't legendary for being. He wasn't a legend yet. You know, right. and neither was Tammy. You know, they're and they and um, and 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 it's interesting because even though they were kind of Nashville country, uh, the band was very much like outlaw country. Like mm. you know, like even even though the, if yeah. you look at pictures of, of the Jones Boys of the '60s, you know, all super super clean cut. Everybody's got like flat tops and stuff. But by the time the seventies, man, they all look like damn hippies. They, they could have been in Creedence Clearwater, you know, some of them, yeah. if they weren't still holding on to it, you know? And so, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was always kind of an interesting tension in the, in that, you know, and they, they all did a lot of drugs and stuff that, that I saw and t- took as regular too, you know, but yeah, so, so yeah, he did keep a real simple beat, you know, like, and it was, it was interesting to watch that kind of drumming and learn that kind of drum. And my dad played jazz style. So he was like his, his, you know, he had his, um, yeah. Yeah, the grip. He had the had the side grip, uh, and he he taught me to play that way. But I went to to you know two fisted action, yeah. you know, so I could <laughs> so I could play heavy metal bands. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like so being around that, like, what were some of like? Did anyone ever like? Was there any like maybe into unintentional like music nuggets of wisdom that you still follow today? Just like someone muttered something that really kind of like stayed the path that you find that you still kind of resonate with? Maybe it's like, even if it was like, don't do this, don't do this many drugs, because it sounds like there's a lot of that. No, no, we, I was, <laughs> us as kids, we were just appendages yeah. to them. You know what I mean? Like okay, they had their okay. big adult lives and stuff, you know, going, I wish, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be so magical if I could tell you this like story of like, right. how yeah, that I was kinda, like, <laughs> no, you know, but no, that, pretty much the whole thing. That, 
that happened was uh, I just learned to that I did not want to be my dad when I grew up. Right. That's all I learned from all that. I wanted to be a better drummer, and that's the only thing I knew because he was a you know he was a, a sad, miserable, uh, angry person. Right. Well, you know. I mean, so th- so I learned that, but he didn't tell me that. You know, <laughs> the, the the beatings told me that. You know, right, so. Yeah. But like, but that's it, it, it equally as valuable of a lesson, like, because, like, it sounds like, you know, that's an incredible, like, group of people to be around to until you really, like, zone into, like, the minutiae and, like, the shitty stuff that's around it. And, like, I don't, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are rose-tinted when it becomes, like, uh, an, someone they're artistically moved by, you know? And, like, it's kind of like with the doors, like, Jim Morrison's great, but I would not want to have to make sure he got to the gig. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, right. But all of these guys were like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. To degrees. Like, and it mostly was men, you know, yeah. and the women, the women were kind of, you know, side appendages. Also, you know, our moms were, you know, appendages to them and stuff. And, but it, but, but they had a lot of camaraderie too. Maybe I learned that, you know, you're making me think about it. Like, like all, not just the Jones boys, but, amongst all there was because there was like touring circuits back then so it'd be like you know it'd be like reviews so like it'd be the same shows like with ronnie Millsap and uh uh tanya tucker and and people like in the same you know the same bill you know like for you know like 10 dates in a row or whatever it was big shows not even little shows and stuff but they were they were reviews so so they were like traveling caravans of people so i saw the same people again and again a lot and it was you know it was uh, I did see a lot of camaraderie and a lot of it looked a lot of friendship. I don't remember any petty backbiting or anything. You know, of course, I would might not have seen it. And they were, everybody was really nice to the kids. Either we were ignored or they were really nice to us. Nobody was like pushing us around or anything. And I hung out with uh, uh, Georgette Jones, which was uh, George and Tammy's only daughter. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, we were kids for a long time. I was like, are we cousins and things? You know, like because so. And it was like. But that, Grew up to find out that wasn't true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you still stay in touch? Or is with that who? like with 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 uh, any of that like those non cousin cousins? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, no. You yeah. know, I tried to reach out to Georgette uh, through uh, early t- days of of uh, corporate social media, yeah. but it it didn't ever go anywhere, and that was fine. I didn't yeah. care that much. I was, you know, like I have photos of us. That, together and stuff i was like hey maybe you might want some of these photos or something it was not that big a deal and then the um the band the old band um who the guys i used to think were my uncles um i reached out to two of them uh about two years ago so if i could just back up i didn't see my dad for almost 30 years and 20 of those years he was in prison and he wasn't looking for me he and he wasn't and he wasn't my biological dad and so it was like he just raised me for 10 years at this very crucial time in my life from right. three to 13. And so, I, you know, again, this is like sorting later. I didn't understand it at the time. And so but, um, so I found him again out in, outside of Beaumont in 2012, uh, living with his brother in the same trailer my grandmother was, except it was she was dead, had been dead for 20 something years. And anyway, I saw him and. I saw him this one time and it wasn't like a hallmark moment. Didn't hurt my yeah. feelings or I wasn't sad about it. I found it super surreal and amazing to really find him again. Cause I'd wanted to find him cause he, he lived off the grid basically. Right. Right. And so anyway, I reached out to him anyway. And he, he died in the interceding years. Him and my, and my uncle uh, both mm-hmm. died on the property. Uh, they'd lived, you know, basically lived there all their lives, 70 some years. And, uh, um, so I reached out to uh, a couple of the, the, I tried to track down some of the old 
uh, Jones Boys guys, because some of them live down the street from us. Like that's how close those guys were. You know, I've never talked about this stuff with anybody really, except for maybe my wife. But it's uh, so they, um, so they, so I reached out to James Holly, who was the uh, bass player, and uh, Charlie Carter, who was the longtime guitarist. And Charlie Carter. So, so what happened was that they were all Jones boys from the '60s into the '70s, and then Tammy and George married sometime in like the late '60s and '70s. But they got a, had a bitter divorce. And when George was so messed up by '76 or '75, so far out of it, they all left and, and joined Tammy's band and stayed in her band. From and my dad left in 1980, but then Charlie and James stayed on for another like like Charlie stayed on until I think the the nineties. He he was still the guitarist for her band, and then uh, until she died. And so when I reached out to him, I mean I mean this is somebody that used to adore me, and he he's he said he did you know he he was glad to talk to me, but he didn't want to talk about the music business at all. Yeah. He he said I turned my back on it. He was living in Mesquite, Texas, and he's like have nothing to do with it. And he's like I'll, I'll I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I was like, man, it was like, are, are you okay? And it's like, he's good. I'm just an old man now, and I just have a different life. And he's like, I just don't care. I mean, you talk about somebody who's a musician, a side musician for 35, 37 years. And he's just like, yeah, don't even want to talk about it at all. <laughs> Not about even bragging about it. He just yeah. like, he was very adamant. But then I reached out to James Hawley, who was a bass player. And I grew up with his kids uh, literally down the street from me. Uh, and they... Uh, uh, and he was different, you know, and these guys are both like, you know, these guys are like 78, 80, 81, you know, like in those in that range. And this is just before COVID. And he and I had made plans to get together and he was living out in East Texas. And uh, I just haven't reached out to him since then because COVID happened, you know. But uh, but he was he was really glad to hear from me and he wanted to. It was nice to connect because part of me, it's a journey of trying to find a sense of place of who I am and you know, again, just trying to make sense of the world, you know, like who, who, even though they weren't going to tell me stories or anything, it wasn't about that. I just wanted to talk to them about their lives and in and, and, and turn that would help me, you know, understand more about my own life. Not like in a therapeutic way and in very much of a, a curiosity way. Right, right, right. Which, well, one, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that with me. That's like, like, but like that to kind of just even know like these people that like as a kid, like you like how you're saying these older people are they uncles or they what they're just here all the time so like even just to yeah. check in you know it, it like yeah is more therapeutic than than it may not not even attempting to be but it just to know someone's okay and that they's like ah, i remember you you know like what are you yeah like, it, it, even if you completely avoid talking about the the music industry because i'm sure homie was burnt out from that <laughs> like Oh my God. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm like, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure drugs, you know, like he was yeah, just recovered oh from drugs, all of it, you know, yeah. uh, cause that was probably, you know, cause even though, you know, you always, you always see, you know, the, 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 pic, the depictions used to always like rock stars turn up hotels yeah, and, yeah. you know, stuff. but it was country guys were doing it too. <laughs> you just did driving cars into pools, taking lots of drugs, you know, like they were all doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's, that, that, that sucks because it takes away from the thing that you love them for. Maybe it's maybe some people thrive on that's how they came up with it. But I think in the big picture, you lose that magic from all that madness. Um, oh yeah. And like when I saw my dad last uh, in that 2012 thing, uh, he was living on this property and he had this warehouse that used to be my uncle's uh, uh, 
studio that he worked out of to doing welding and stuff. Yeah. And I went in there and I saw his old drum kit in there, one of his yeah. old drum kits. And it was just thrown and thrown aside. I was like, when did you play drums last? And he's yeah. like, well, I was in prison. I was in the prison band. Damn. And that was it. Yeah. Damn. It's interesting because, well, okay, just to, 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 to tie that story in, because you're making me think about it, <laughs> is that I used to go as a child yeah. to the Huntsville State Prison yeah. rodeo every year because my dad played at it. As a, as a, when it was, you know, George Jones and Tammy Wynette played there. So every year for, I don't know, five or 10 years, we went there, you know, it was, it was a regular circuit. And it was weird to think my dad was in that prison later. Yeah. What a weird twist of faith. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you like, so to kind of have those experiences of like, uh, these are people in here and like, we get to brighten their lives for an hour or whatever and see that as a kid that kind of like really like makes sense of some of this amazing work you're doing now. Like the I think it is- totally informs it. Totally. You're very astute that it totally informs it because not only like prisons were always interesting to me because it, like having been in them, yeah. As a child, without knowing anybody that was in them at the time, then later, you know, growing up and as a teenager and as, as an adult, my cousins and my uncles all going to prison or jail for drugs and, you know, drug related stuff. And, and then, of course, you know, my dad also going to, to jail, going to prison for drugs twice, you know. And so so it, it, it definitely uh, I say drugs in prison and poverty uh definitely informed many things that that have carried into my life and I, and you know like i'm not saying that i spun off in drug world you know or i sp- i went to prison or anything but i'm just saying all those being around me right. you know all my life you can't so, you can't not be in like molded by that because it's like in to some degrees it's so traumatic in a way but then also is it's it's so aggravating to see like how some of these systems are put in place but they don't help anyone at one point. yes agreed okay. agreed on both on both fronts the interpersonal right. and the political and what you're talking about absolutely absolutely and it's one of the themes i've worked on is pr- prisoner issues for almost 30 years not related to my dad because i didn't care about him or what yeah. he was doing even though i knew he was locked up but just working on prison and then and political prisoner issues in the in the United States. Um, you know, I've worked on those issues for 27, almost 30 years, you know, in various things. I worked on a campaign for 20, 20 years on one on one campaign, you know, with these with these political prisoners. So I'm just saying that, like, yeah, definitely has informed all like something that's carried through in my life, not in trauma, but just definitely having the openness to that uh that that's real in in the world you know right well just even the realize these are everyone comes from something right and something right and like and then when you're here and like what's what's this doing besides just turning the mill and keeping this door this this prison light on you know i mean like are we really exactly Right, exactly. People, are we banning people? You know, are we canceling people? Both. Like, that's, you know, <laughs> and warehousing them. Right. And also just warehousing right. because we don't know what else to do with them. You and know, like, yeah. So I think that's that's incredible that to, to, to be around that situation and be like, I want to help aid this in some way as opposed to like just getting away from it. And I think that speaks highly of your character. And like that comes through all the art and all the books you've written and like the activist work that you do. And, like, it's really interesting to hear, like, how it comes, like, from all these, like, early experiences, like, 
musically and like how like it's so intertwined and one thing like i guess just from a musical perspective right with country music there's a there's the emphasis on the song and the lyrics and how where this narrative is being uh, exactly being presented yes and how you can support that now applying that to like electronic music and like finding samples is in my mind is like you're looking for a rhythmic phrase that has something to say and like a drummer is i think uh, uh, musically probably one of the most adept to hearing that important that impact of like like rhythmically what's being said like in a sample and like coming from this background of serving the song like the importance of what's being said and like going through um this new record and the the demos that you have out like there's definitely you 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 hone in on that with a lot of these samples like is that something like do you think th- coming from this background informed that do you th- or was this something that was like like trying to go the opposite like no i think you're right but i think i think that you're on to very much with that, that that's a very interesting i hadn't uh, i hadn't thought about samples in that way but it truly is but I have also um, been somebody who's paid attention to media all my life uh, as a child was watching the news and stuff. And so um, when sampling started to come around uh, in, 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 the, in the early to mid 80s, um, you know, like more widespread where everybody could do it, you know, um, I was taken aback by the way that samples could t- help tell the story which is, I think, is what you're talking about also with within, you know, like in choosing those, some of those were like this phrase from this movie or this part of this speech help us to say the things that we want to say in this song without having to just sing it ourselves and stuff. And I definitely looked at that. And I love that cut up culture. Again, coming back yeah. to Mark Stewart and, uh, and, and you know, and Dub in general, but like, but Mark Stewart, like, and really what on you and, and people like that were doing where they're really cutting stuff up. I think is absolutely there, but I always had a tension for me when I was doing electronic and industrial and dark wave music because I wanted it to be more melodic sometimes. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to have feeling and stuff, not just the driving rhythms of it. So lesson seven at that phase of it, like with this on continuum of time, is that tension between that. You know, like like let's have moving uh, cut up songs that have driving beats, but also let's have these like melodic songs that are, you know, like that ev- that evoke. Maybe they're not as overtly political, although like everything is political. When I go back to all my lyric, all my writing, which I've never stopped for thirty something years, it's always political. I'm like, why was I writing this? Even like sometimes I don't even remember why. Why? How did I get on this theme? And um, and thematically, interestingly enough a lot of my stuff is about the media if it's not just poetic you know like license that i'm taking for things and, and singing about something because i like to sing i like play on words and i like i like dada approaches to stuff and i like is, is approaching lyrics to that you know or words or poetry or things like but i also like constructing narratives that that can convey feelings or, or convey uh importance about issues and stuff without fucking trying to hit people over the head all the time so i like i like the tension between those two anyway so lesson seven was that that's what that era of it was definitely that tension of that so that's where this are reflected in the songs i guess i'd say like that's an intro like to the that's like a beautiful balance of like hitting the hammer on the nail and like finding a way to make it like open to interpretation and like i think that's like 
That's like the 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 goal of a good writer is how do I say something that hits home, but also can be like felt in a way that isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Because I appreciate both approaches, right? Right. But like like when when I was exposed to punk music and and many of you know like it didn't resonate as much because it was like the nail on the head like right. Reagan's bad this is bad like I fucking hated <laughs> yeah. Reagan yeah. Right? like and he's gonna kill us I hated Thatcher like just know that like if I, but um but it did but it it didn't but I was like it didn't appeal to me as much it, it appealed to some of my angst of my youth because I was fucking angry about stuff you know at points as a, as a teenager but. But then later, like a song like uh, V.I.M. did Maggie's Party, which was a house song that took samples from uh, Mag- Margaret Thatcher's speeches and cut them up and, um, and and still kind of did the same thing. Still made her look like a shit bag, but also without saying you're a shit bag. Right. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. and and and, and, you know, and like Gary Kelly on Tackhead did the same thing where they, you know, they sampled her and the hard left song. Um, but decades ago, you know, like, and, and just I love those reappropriations at the same time. But, but, but both of them are examples where they are not hit nail on the head, just a little, little gray, a little artistic license. But it, you understand what it means. The sentiment's still there. Yeah, I think that's clever. That's I'm not that clever. So, <laughs> but one, well, kind of like, it's it's interesting too to write music like this. And like when you take samples, you're like. It, it, it's kind of like, like I don't think pe- people don't realize it's just like the inspiration like a uh, sponge you have to have for like a any songwriter right like Dylan here's blowing right. in the wind that's a song right uh catch- right. phrase catching or song seed planting you hear little bits right and yes. sampling is a hundred percent that but you're going to these different forms of I mean I'm sure everyone who's inspired finds themselves somewhere inspired by any form of media. But in particular, you can absolutely and you can chop it in like, but you have to have that open like perception and like. Right, right. But we were early crate diggers, man. We were like we were we all like all of us worked at record stores. So we were like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. We'll take that. We'll take that. Like imports, all kinds of things of, you know, obscure stuff, especially when international music was first starting to come in. And one of the projects that I worked with a lot, it wasn't my band, but it was some good friends of mine. It was called International Thief Thief. And they were amazing, amazing at cutting and uh, sampling uh, just at the time, super obscure, like African and just international music, Indonesian stuff, like things that just never was in the U.S., you know. But everybody was crate diggers, you know. We all had giant vinyl collections for a while. Um, on a, one sample that stuck out to me on the on this advance was the ninth track, the first sample. It's a it's an older gentleman saying how he like uh, uh, was inspired to be the see someone to die see be in yeah. Life. Now I know that. F- but I don't know what that's from. Like I know it's from a documentary. I don't know what it's from either. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. I'd have to ask when. He told me years ago, but I can't. Yeah. I can't remember. It's been far, 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 far too long. But it's from a documentary about veterans who had uh, who were coming back, and and it was like the kind of the first time when people were talking about horrible war things that were happening and maybe it was like a bbc documentary or something and they were they were just they were but they were talking about things like like helping each other die which these guys were you know in the 80s these guys would have been like korean war world war ii guys talking about it It wasn't like vietnam guys talking about it and that guy i can't even remember where that sample which you know which clip that sample came from but that sample is powerful to me It it always was that's why we left it in you know like as soon as I knew I heard that from Sarah, but 
I think that definitely yeah. really brought out that piece. Um, another question, I, I kind of like, so writing music like this with this open sponge and kind of taking in samples and, and writing lyrics and like writing novels and books, like, do you have like a routine? Do you have a, a writing routine that you go to? Like, no, fuck no. No? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm a terrible writer. Uh, like, I'm not, like, you know, like, uh, like real, like, I don't even consider, consider myself a, a real writer. L look at this, like, even though you're like, yeah, you've done these things, like, but really all of these things are just forms of expression that have taken different uh, media, you know, outputs, but I don't consider myself, um, uh, I don't, con I, I consider them the forms of communication first more than, uh, craft. Like I don't, I consider myself a musician to degrees. I consider myself a writer to degrees, but I don't, but there are writers I'm air quoting, uh, who I think who definitely have this process and they write and they write and they write, but I'm not, I, I like a, you know, like a book can take me five years to, to do, uh, uh, and, and, um, so I, I don't tend to, I don't have a tendency to, to not work on them. Like I'm not somebody who sits solitary and writes every day. That's why I know I'm not a writer because the writers I know, that's what they do. They don't, they don't go to parties. They don't go see people. They don't go to art openings. They don't run galleries. They don't do, they just, they like, I write books or I write stories or what, you know, or I'm a journalist. That's just not me. And so what I do is I just squeeze it in between stuff, you know, like, Oh, I'm inspired to write this for right now. But but I kind of stopped doing books. I have about six of them in different various stages of completion, but I kind of stopped doing them because I wanted to go back to music because I started to feel like I could tell some of the same things or I could share some of the same feelings I was having in and, ch and, and challenging myself to say it in smaller in a five minute song or less. You know, like, how do I compact this instead of a, uh, a 2000 word intro that just starts the essay that's going to be 10,000 <laughs> words for an essay? Yeah. What if I just say it in 150 words in a song? What is it? What is it? How do I convey that? And it helps me to think about c things in compact ways. And so I've just enjoyed that process of late kind of doing this as, instead of just sitting because books, you know, like I can sit down and literally write two or three thousand words in a sitting. But then I know that book is not going to see their light of day for five years or six years or right. or, or years. It just takes a long time to right. do them. And just as the, the person uh, reading it, it takes longer. You know what I mean? Compared sure, to, sure. To yes. Three minutes, <laughs> maybe yeah, exactly. You're lessons. like, oh, my gosh, I just felt that. Like, yeah. or like, or like, I understand what they're saying about that. Like, I agree or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm motivated, too. You know, <laughs> but. I think it's so awesome that you do both because those are two different practices and they hit two different people and the inspiration is still there in either way. You know, some people like when you read a book, you're hyped up for way longer than maybe maybe a lifetime, you know, compared to a song, which I think you I don't know, but a good song, though, yeah, that resonates true. with you. You're still listening to it years <laughs> and decades later. You're like, oh, my God, that song still moves me sometimes, yeah, you know. Back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I just like like both both yeah. of those. But it, but at the same time, I always uh, like writing has always been a thing. Like it's always been a it vomits out of me, you know, in periods of time. You know, poetry and prose and short stories and 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 things. And I think that for me, partly the the corporate social the rise of corporate social media, you know, starting around two thousand eight or nine, really. Uh, took the wind out of my sails for writing. And I saw it with a lot of other writers because you're writing posts all day. 
you know, like, so you're just writing content. And, but instead I was like, why would I want to do that? I'd rather just put that into a book rather than wasting it, you know, on a, a fucking 2000 likes. It doesn't matter. The book will fucking reach way more people than that. Right. And so I began to make conscious decisions about kind of those kind of, kind of things. And then some of the stuff needs to like, you know, like books, books make more sense because they're longer conceptual things or longer essays also make sense because there's much more that needs to be said about this particular idea or set of ideas or experiences, uh, at least from my perspective, that can't be reached in, in, in a small song. And, and actually, this is what crosses over with the label because we're going to produce books also. We are producing books and we're not even we already have our first book out, um, which is a, a it's, it actually is a collage of like it's my writing. Uh, a fictional story, uh, a photographer who's, um, you know, known in his photographer world, um, images. So it's like text on one side, image on the other side. But we also uh, put a, a seven inch picture disc in of one of my songs in there that's also related to the same theme. So this is the beginning. This is the embryonic genesis, I guess, of, 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 of this, of where emergency hearts will go. And like next year I'm doing uh, Mark Spivey of Dead Voices on Air and Download. He's we're we're we were been editing it this year. We're gonna to try to release his uh, memoir next year. And so my 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 idea is to have books and visual art because a lot of I think a lot of artists aren't are are they 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 express themselves more than just songs or just more than just lyrics. And so uh, I want to give uh, I want to give some space for that. And I'm much more interested in selling if we're gonna sell things, selling objects from people like books or or prints or real or their paintings or whatever it is, or, you know, whatever they're making that's art more than selling a record, you know, like, cause we can digitally release stuff, but we can sell these other things to people who are, or the, or the people, you know, can share these things that are interesting, that makes it more multidimensional than just like, I'm just a musician. I always thought that was limiting for people like, I'm just a musician. I'm like, are you just a musician though? It's like, I see all these paintings in your house, you know? <laughs> That's that's so cool though. That kind of goes back to that that collaborative effort in like a collaborative. Absolutely. Vision. That's so, and like yeah. That's so cool to be able to do this with emergency hearts. Like and the right, and that's the only people we work with are are. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step no, on you, no, but no, I was no, like, I'll just say that like that. That's the only people we work with. If you're not a collaborative person, there's nothing that we need from you. Like if you're like a rising artist or something like that, or if you were an established, because we work with a lot of silver hair people too. Uh, that are established, they're mid-career and late-career artists. Like if if we do that and you're an asshole, I won't work with you because we <laughs> we just don't need to. I want yeah. I like because everybody we work with, Mark Stewart and Mark Spivey, I was telling you about, and this yeah. woman sign who who her name is Rona Rushart. I mean, these people all collaborate across uh, across things, not just musically, but just even helping each other in, in the label and and in the ecosystems and stuff. And I just like it. I just it's just a friendly approach to it. That's so especially like, with the yeah. collapse of the culture industry, you know, because right. you know it's become so valueless and so many, you know, it's just content for corporate platforms, you know, and so not that I don't look at it like that, like we value it more than that, but I'm saying that's what it's become. Scale, I mean, yeah, yeah, and so so I want people to think about, you know, like not just that you're just limited to this, like why don't we just do some, why don't you create some other stuff since it's art partially for joy and partially to to you know to continue to live by making money in the capitalist system. Right. So, but you know, I think that's like it's so much of it. It's like, like, what the fuck's an NFT? You know what I mean? Like, why? Like, yeah, exactly. It's so cool to have like a physical. Like records came back because they're physical, and you like 
what the sound wave is visible like you can see it you're, you're that's what right you're, right that's the biggest form of a of a song you could probably get before you see the band and like, exactly it all used to be for sure right. but you know what i mean i read in the industry i read oh, sadly i read industry magazines about this stuff and you know literally 99 percent of the people that buy vinyl and cd cds do not listen to them anymore yeah they're just buying it as an object yeah and so i'm like well why would i want to just make vinyl then as a record company because some people said yes that's the thing but i'm like well man would it be cooler to have all these like patches that or this puzzle that mark stewart made you know like it would, <laughs> yes. like it would just be a cool it's just a cooler thing like i mean where are you going to get that you know yeah you know so anyway and the music is still there because we're still releasing and it. it's still you know it's in the digital realm which is where it's all at where the real where the you know hopefully the real money you know is i hate I hate to keep talking about money but that's a real thing in, in running a business is trying to keep it going and you know it's you know it's definitely uh uh you know it's definitely hobby-ish to degrees because i'm not trying to kill myself and i don't think we're going to sell this thing to apple anytime soon you know for a bazillion dollars so i'm like well how do we make it sustainable economically too because you know one of one of running running a label like the way we run it is super ethical so there's six employees they all get paid well uh you know to do things so that we need we need to create funds to do that and a lot of indie labels don't care about that it's just one person operation you know that or it's just an artist that releases their own stuff and it's it's but we're really actually trying to trying to make something a little a little bit bigger that ma matters more than just content you know right, right. Well, so i think that comes off because i've talked to a few a few artists on uh on your label so far like and like i think that resonates through each individual artist on it and like the idea of taking this and making like a just like how you said a book a visual with a song like that's the coolest like that's it's it's one it's a few steps away from a film you know what i mean like it is well i mean we're doing films yeah, too i mean why not yeah so, like uh, i mean why not well, we, we do have art films so that's the other thing is we release a lot of vintage art films i just haven't it hasn't happened yet this year's the year of the launch of a lot more things you know in the podcast and stuff like that it's just it, it's just steps you know and just in the history of the label just if i could backtrack for half a second i i kind of was started messing around in 2017 and releasing stuff and by 2019 i got a little more serious and i an old friend of mine and i reconnected uh his name is david may and he's a longtime electronic musician we'd worked together done shows together back in the day and reconnected and he was a producer and stuff we worked together on a lot of stuff but he died tragically in a fire on 20 uh in october of 2020 and it just knocked the wind out of me just totally knocked the wind out of me and so it took me a while to to figure out what i was going to do and during that time, Mark Stewart reached out to me, and that's when we started talking and started working together on stuff. And and he gave me a lot of support in that. And I started working with um, this guy, Mark Pistol from Consolidated, uh, who was an old friend. Uh, we uh, we started working together. And so between those two people, they really kind of helped me just kind of keep it going. They're like, yeah, it's worth keeping it going. This is a small thing, but it's worth keeping going. So we kept it going. That's awesome. And like, and so that's where we're at. Team Supreme. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, I know. Like Team Supreme. That's like, <laughs> no. Like, um, yeah. That's so cool. And well, I think, like, I think you're doing it. And I think, like, just from a person that's gotten to talk to who you're working with, like, it's definitely a Team Supreme. And I could, it's awesome that it's based on, like, genuine people who are passionate about art and passionate about expression and passionate about sharing those in the way that matters and not just, that's right that's not right. just like putting all their money 
on an ad so you can click on it and making you know nonsense content but making stuff exactly exactly right right um, one thing and, I want, sorry 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 you, you know, go ahead and i mean go ahead <laughs> no no it's good because i was gonna before I, I, I was just gonna say when so i get to work with people like consolidated i mean they're on my label now you know yeah. they've been on my label for the last couple of years because mark pistol is consolidated and you, you know he's also murky uh hercules and love affair and also in uh in uh he was in meet be manifesto for a long time and so it's just like consolidated is um used to epitomize to me one of the most overt political ways to do stuff that i actually enjoyed you know and i was friends with those guys you know we did multiple shows with them back in the 80s and the early 90s and then um later adam and i were friends through the political uh stuff and, and it was just a good crossover because when I was touring, doing book stuff between 2012 and 2016, he, uh, you know, he'd come out in Portland, he'd come out to the shows and we'd talk and stuff and I'd hung out with him, watch soccer games and stuff. And it was really good. And it was just a good build again, just building on relationships and building on old friendships and stuff. It's, it just, it just makes it more comfortable than it's all than being all business right. or all, you know, desperate. Well, and so. you had to be able to celebrate that in a more professional kind of way where you're like, it is, it isn't just all money, you know, but it's also like celebrating that creative expression with someone you've started with, you know what I mean? Like, or that's just, right. You know, that's right. The right. Uh, exactly. You know, that's so awesome. Like what I wanted to, what <laughs> we have to talk about some Cleveland stuff a little bit. Like we got to mention the guide, the culture stuff we, we talked about at the top. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of on the concept of a book and releasing books, like, uh, how did you, how did you come in contact with R.A. Washington and like, how did that book come about? The interview book. Uh, oh, the interview book. I, um, let's see, I, um, I had a, a book come out in 2012 called Black Flags and Windmills and it did pretty good. Had it, yeah. it's very funny. It would have been on the New York Times bestseller list had the publisher I had done it with cared about trying to promote that kind of stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. very interesting because by numbers it, it did really good. And so uh it resonated with people i'm not i'm not even this is not even like toot my own horn yeah. because it was kind of a surprise that it happened uh and so uh i and so i toured on that book you know a lot of people tour on a book for a few months or a few weeks or something like that i toured on that book for almost five years because it resonated so much in helping build capacity and changing ideas around disasters and what people do after disasters that it just resonated and so i came through uh guide to culture in cleveland uh uh twice to speak and uh, that's where i met ra because he was working with a lot of anarchist kids who were doing like prisoner support stuff and anyway they brought me twice and we just all hit it off really good and they had at, right at that point were starting a um to do a uh a small publishing arm they would had bought the machines and or gotten grants for the machine somehow they were gonna they were gonna self-publish you know like you'd start making books and stuff because you know ra is a writer and right. he's written tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and he's a real writer he's also one of those people i go that's a writer you know what i mean and so <laughs> yeah, uh yeah. and so uh we just hit it off and so they wanted to do uh, a, a book with me and so i was already in the work works for another book so i was like but i said this is a concept i'd be interested in so they they wanted to, they thought it would be good and so we just turned it was a collection of interviews and talks but it wasn't just straight like i kind of i fleshed them out like it wasn't just like you know, I would take like a conversation that we're having, maybe I'd transcribe it, and then I would take things and start expanding on it. You know, like, oh, I only said two lines here, but I might say like a whole paragraph or two paragraphs to flesh out the idea. 
cut out the you know the ums and the ahs and stuff like that and just make it in interview format <laughs> yeah. but make it as read as a book and so i thought it was a great concept and so we just did it and it and it, and it did good it was i think we uh, that book only that's the book sold like three thousand copies within a couple of years it's been out of print for a few years and and i think that they closed the um the publishing house after that so and I, and, and i haven't been in touch with ra or anything but then i started working with emergency hearts and i was working with the the guys from um one of the guys from algiers actually two of the guys from algiers they were doing a side project with mark stewart called nun gun and 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 they wanted to um they wanted to get adrian sherwood to do a remix for them and i said i would if you would release this dub album on my label uh, they released a ver another version on through Matador, uh, the label that their, Algiers is on. And I said, if you'll release the dub version through me, uh, you know, and you you guys still have control and all that stuff, um, uh, they'll do it. And they did it on Mark's word, and that was very cool. And so, but when I got that, when I got the material, I started looking at this stuff, and it was like uh uh morning a black star and i was like what the heck is this i was like oh my gosh these mixes are incredible and so anyway i looked them up and i started listening to their music and, and then i looked at it it was r.a washington he's part of that project and i was like this is so beautiful what a what a great circle and i haven't reached out funny enough i haven't reached out to him to tell him that but it's just an interesting crossover in my life you know and i and i like that and then, you know and i have this special thing too of like cleveland because uh, I, I we toured. I toured with Skinny Puppy. My uh, Lesson Seven toured with Skinny Puppy in 1988 on the Vivisex Six tour. Which you, when you were asking about like country music, is there a thing that was like super influential? Somebody said, but no. But in 1988, when we toured with Skinny Puppy, they were very influential to me. I became vegan and vegetarian right after that for the next 35 years. I fought for animal rights and stuff because that's what that tour was about. But um, but that we only did like five dates. You know, it was like Chicago. Uh, you know, Minneapolis, Detroit, Cleveland, Cincinnati, something else, maybe Tulsa or something. Anyway, just interesting. But it was the first time I'd ever seen uh, the collapse uh, in the United States because in the South, it was like it was all farmland that got turned into factories more recent in the more recent times. That would be in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s. But this, you know, I got to see where like Detroit was collapsed and totally broken. There was nothing there anymore. But Cleveland and, and Cincinnati, I'd never seen industrial cities that were had largely just gone away. And, it, I, you know, they they look like Beirut to me or what I would see on the news and stuff. And so that was something that had a profound effect on me also. And that tour uh, and and those shows had effect because it was either Cleveland or Cincinnati where uh, Kevin Key and Nivik Ogre got arrested for um, having this fake puppet dog that some Christians said was real and they were hurting animals. Yeah. And so they came and while we we're all like getting super high in a <laughs> fucking illegal state back then, yeah. uh, they uh, they arrested both of them and took all our weed. So. <laughs> at the it, at the time and so well, awesome. uh, so those are those are kind of a profound experience that I just carried forward with me and like you know animal rights prison issues and environmental stuff and and women's access to abortion have become issues that are in, in women's issues in general not i'm not a i wouldn't say i'm a feminist or not feminist i don't know about that but it just like but those women's issues in right. general uh, those are like four themes that have just kind of came right out of that out of that tour that's incredible like did, was Nine Inch Nails? They're, they're Cleveland based too. Was they? Were they on that tour? Yes. As well? Okay. Okay. They were. No. They. Um. Okay, they. I don't even know if they were around. I don't even know if they were around yet. Then. No. Uh, what they? Oh yeah, they were. Because what happened was we did these dates, and we left off after Cincinnati, I think, and then there was going to be 
seven or 10 days and there was going to be a Washington DC gig. And then there was going to be New York, uh, like on Halloween or something. I'm, I may be confusing the other part because I'd, I'd never have gone back to look, but anyway, we, we were given the choice to do that show, but we didn't do the show. And that's the show that nine inch nails did their first date with them and got a record deal with TBT records, uh, immediately. So, but we were friends with them. Like we were, but we were becoming friends with it. It was okay. Like, like in hindsight, I mean, the arc of life is long. Like I never would have created the, the, we never would have done as good as Trent Reznor's done. I'm going to say that like, but you know, at the time I was like, oh man, we could have got that record deal and stuff, but we would have burned out and gone on or something. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like happy that they got the record deal and it wasn't even between us or them. I'm just saying, you know, in my head it was, but but that but that was a pivotal time for them also but but we became friends with uh nine inch nails at that time with trent and um and with his manager at, uh, for a long time john malm and trent was going to produce a record for us this is before even before pretty hate machine had come out or even was doing anything yet and so and then that ended up leading to us being on tour with them in 1990 uh and then then later chris Brenna, the drummer maybe 91 had quit for a while because Trent was pretty, pretty overwhelming, you, you know, um, and so Chris Renna came and uh, came and lived in Dallas for a while. And he drummed with us when we opened for uh, Clan of Zymox Sick. Uh, yeah. in 91. So, That's but anyways, just Cleveland, Cleveland crossover. That's I always think about when I see Reznor uh, air conditioners and heaters, I always think about Trent. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and his family was it that's so cool that's especially with the you know i got some of ra's books and i'm gonna I'm look up i'm gonna try to find a copy of the the one you guys did it's I emergency have... hearts molotov dreams it shows up every once in a while on amazon but it shows up for like 200 dollars, and i'm like why is that 200 dollars? i don't understand that it's just confusing to me because so. there's only one that that pops up um you, that's what i've noticed with amazon they jack it up if it's like a copy of something right right and we're going to reissue that book anyway not with ra but i'm doing a new edition of it a second edition that's going to be expanded because i think it's only interviews yeah, yeah. 2010 to 2015 or something yeah but that's the sick. next one will be it'll be like 10 or 12 years it'll be a lot longer covering more themes so very cool um and then i want to do the same with a music one uh, hopefully uh, using interviews like this in the future i'd like to put uh, put together another book just on talking about music sick by all means, please. All right. <laughs> like, uh, but I was, I was going to say, it was, it's interesting because those kids that were with, with him in the, that store, I, I in high school, um, I did Food Not Bombs with a lot of those kids. Oh, yeah, that's exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And yes. It's... Sorry, it was, it was, it, to me, that was like a really profound, like, because I went on a tour in high school with this band, State Radio, and we would uh-huh, do service uh-huh. projects, right? And yeah, I was a part of their nonprofit, and that's what I was doing on the tour was like assisting with that and just helping gauge these service projects and like do them. And like it was life changing. And then finding Food Not Bombs in Cleveland and being able to do that like every other week or whatever was their schedule. And like know that oh Panera's throwing all this away and we can just I know them. right like right it yeah it's so uh, cool. Food Not Bombs. Right, right, and like yeah, it still goes on. I know people still do it in Cleveland. Yeah, I have a friend, Sanseer Shakur, who was part of the the Guide to Culture. Also, uh, he lives in some housing project there, but he does food not bombs with a bunch of anarchist kids. He's a he's an older black man about my age, uh, but he does it with them and in, in, in his in his uh, in his where he lives in that housing uh, area where he lives. They do it every week, uh, every week. They're still doing it. So, and I think it's a lot of those kids from 
from guide to culture. So I wonder if it's uh, it's so interesting. I love it. I mean, that's I love it when I hear about like from an anarchist perspective. I love when I hear autonomous projects that go on right. just based on ideas for a long time. You know. Yeah, and that's that's so important, and that's what continues, and that's what continues to inspire and question. And like, I right? Think with everything you've done, my friend, I think you continue that in all aspects of your work. And Scott, I really appreciate our time, and I really appreciate getting to chat with you. This was very insightful and very inspiring. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for asking really good questions and having an engaging conversation. I really appreciate it. I've been interviewed hundreds of times, and this is one of my favorite ones to ever talk about the cross of ideas. I'm not even lying. Well, that means the world. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. Anytime, anytime.